Thank you, Cheryl. Well, it's been said, and I'll say it again. Happy Mother's Day. Mothers are such a wonderful gift. I don't know where I would be without my mother. And I sure don't know where I would be without the mother of my children. Lost, that is for sure. Uh, Man, you ladies are heroes, heroes of the home. When your children need permission to do something, who do they ask? They ask mom. And if they ask dad, what do wise fathers know to say? Ask your mother. I heard somebody say no. That was funny. (laughs) That's right. right. And when something is lost, where do you go to find it? Who do you ask to help you find it? Mom, right? She is the one who can help you find it. And, and ladies, when you're in the bathroom and the door is locked because you just need a moment's peace, who is there knocking? Is it not your child banging on the door to get their attention, something that they need? All right, I think you guys see this, right? We just read about the Lord's Prayer, and as I thought about Mother's Day, it occurred to me that the first person that most of us learn what it is to ask, seek, and knock from is our mother, right? They are the ones who are there to help us with the answers. As a child, this this pattern becomes a regular routine. If we want the answers, we go to mom or to dad. Now, as a parent, okay, pro tip, it's our job as a parent to, as our children get older, help them less and less, right? The older they get, the less we help. Now, why is that? Because we've already taught them a lot, right? So when they ask, they should be able to draw from what they've learned over the years to be able to answer their own questions, And by golly, despite how blind they may think they are, or we may think they are, they have the ability to seek and to find, right? So we're not going to go around and help them find everything. And as I, I think about this, this idea that we teach overall independence, right? Since we are moving them toward independence, when they come knocking in the years to come, it should be that they come knocking to visit, not to move back in, right? Okay, so this, this is our job as parents, that they need us less and less. The heart of our passage today centers around those same three ideas. Jesus tells his disciples to ask, seek, and knock. And in each case, in each case, Jesus meets these commands with, a, with an affirmative result. He says, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. Now, as a parent, we slow down in meeting our children's needs as they age and mature because we want to foster that independence. But Jesus seems to be teaching his disciples the exact opposite. He is saying, keep coming back to the Father. Come over and over and over again. Do not stop. Come to him for everything. Ask him for anything. Ask, seek, knock on his door. He is ready to meet your needs. 
But is he saying that he will give you whatever you want? Is he saying come to him like a genie in a magic bottle where if you, you just rub the lamp, then poof, you get three wishes? Is that what he is saying? Or is he saying come to me like a father and I will meet your needs? Let's reread chapter 11, verse 9 and 10 and try to get a handle on what's going on in our passage today. Verses 9 and 10 say this. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. By God's grace, the focus of this passage is to place emphasis on us bringing everything to the Father in prayer. It is not about getting exactly what you want, as like a child may as they come to their parents throwing a fit if their parent knows better and says no, or not now, or not in that way, all right? But what this is about is about us learning dependence on our Heavenly Father through prayer. So let's look again at the beginning of chapter 11 in verse 1 and see how our passage begins. What's it say? It says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples to pray. All right, now, as we get started, I want to make two observations about this one verse. All right, so first we see that Jesus is praying. Now, it doesn't tell us, what kind of prayer he's praying. It doesn't tell us if this is some silent meditative prayer or if he had been praying out loud, but what it does tell us is that Jesus was praying and it appears that his disciples are able to observe him pray. They're seeing this, which tells us this. This is our first observation, that Jesus is an example in prayer. His disciples could look to him, see how he prays, see when he prays, and he gets to be a physical model of prayer. Which brings us to our second observation. The disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. Which means what's following is a lesson. How are we to pray? Teach me how to pray, Lord. And Jesus' teaching on how to pray does not stop with the model that he gives. It continues on. It sets up the whole passage that we're going to uh, go through. So what unfolds in Luke's gospel here is a lesson on teaching how to pray. Now, if you think about this, if you'll remember, because so many of you guys have a catalog of all the sermons I've ever preached, just a couple years ago, we went through the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for that laugh, whoever that was, because I know it's not true. Uh, uh, we went through a a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Lord's Prayer. We have Jesus giving us the Lord's Prayer there. But in Matthew's account, there are a few extra lines in the Lord's Prayer. And then this section on ask, seeking, and knocking are, are separated from the Lord's Prayer. So Matthew presents the Lord's Prayer in a different setting as well. He presents the Lord's Prayer as a contrast against the way that the Jewish religious leaders had prayed. Basically, what he's saying is the Jewish religious leaders are giving a bad example. He's saying, don't 
preach like them. Now, despite uh, how similar Jesus' teaching is uh, in Matthew and in Luke, uh, I, to me, I think these are, are most likely two separate teachings. I don't think they just happened once. Okay, As a rabbi, Jesus would have repeated his lessons often. He wouldn't just say it one time. He would have probably given that teaching in multiple settings on multiple occasions to teach people uh, the heart of his message in, in different places. So Luke presents one time that Jesus taught this, and Matthew presents another. Now, I guess there's a chance he only taught it once, but I don't think that the text demands that. And if we change the setting, then each particular teaching loses a bit of its punch. So in Luke's context, all right, uh, it, it's less what we see in Matthew. Matthew says, don't pray like them. But what we see in Luke is Jesus say more, pray like me. So Matthew says, don't pray like them. Luke says, pray like me. In both cases, we see the consistency of Jesus' message on prayer. So whether Jesus is offering a warning against the wrong way to pray, or if he's encouraging his disciples in the right way to pray, in both cases, he presents the same model of prayer. All right, so this idea now of asking, seeking, and knocking becomes an essential aspect, okay, of, the, of how Jesus is teaching us to pray. We shouldn't view ask, seek, knock as a formula. We shouldn't look at it as a, uh, a magic lamp. If I just ask, seek, knock, then poof, I get my three wishes, okay? It, it's, it's not a formula, but it does help us see how to pray. All right, let, let's, let's continue to move into our passage. This, this teaching is centered on the request the disciples asked of Jesus. And what's that request? Teach us to pray. He's not teaching out to get us what we want. He's teaching us how to pray. All right, so the Lord's Prayer is introduced with the line, when you pray, say. Now, much like Jesus himself is a model of prayer for the disciples, ones that he could be observed and seen, okay, what he does here is he provides a model prayer that lets us see the heart and attitude that we should have in prayer. Let's look again at verses 2 through 4. It says, And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. If we break this passage down, if we look at the Lord's Prayer carefully, what we see is that Jesus provides six prayer requests that should be a part of our prayer life. He provides six prayer requests that should be a part of our prayer life. And we're not going to go through and like exegete each one. I'm just going to give them to you, okay? All right, here are the six prayer requests that we see. Jesus says, pray that God would be glorified and that he would receive honor and glory and the praise that is due him. That's the first prayer request. Second, pray that his kingdom would come. Now, I think this is a twofold kingdom, and we'll touch on that a bit in a second. Third, pray that God would meet your physical, daily needs. Fourth, 
Pray that God would forgive you your sins. Five, pray that God would help us show his grace to others. And six, pray for wisdom that would help us avoid temptation. All right, now think back through the book of Luke. Think back through all that we've seen. I love how consistent this prayer is with the teachings of Jesus. When we think back through what we've read and seen so far in the book of Luke over this last school year, because we started back in August, we see Jesus giving glory to God repeatedly. We see that the whole book is about the coming of the kingdom. And what do we know about the coming of the kingdom? All right, we know this, that that Jesus' ministry here on earth is the coming of the kingdom. That Jesus going to the cross is the coming of the kingdom. That his resurrection and ascension is the coming of the kingdom. We know that the establishment of the New Testament church that we'll see in what would be Luke 2, if you will, the book of Acts, the establishment of the New Testament church is the coming of the kingdom. Yet we pray for the final consummation of the kingdom as well. And what's that mean? That means that, yes, the kingdom has come, but the kingdom is still yet to come. It's already, it's not yet. So we long for the kingdom to come and and it's full so that death is no more and there's no more crying or pain that all things are made new. So we pray for that as we pray. When it comes to praying for daily needs, right, what do we see in the book of Luke? All right, just think about the way that Jesus has set this up. What have we just covered over the last month or so? Two months or three. We've seen that Jesus sent out the 12, right? And what did he tell the 12 as he sent them out? He said, don't take any money and don't take any food. Why? Because he's going to provide for their needs. And then he sent out the 72. And what do we see? We see that he said, don't take any money and don't take any food. Why? Because he's going to provide for their needs. What miracles have we seen Jesus do? Think about with Peter. We saw the huge catch of fish, right? What's he doing? Providing for their needs, for Peter's needs. We see see the feeding of the 5,000. What is that? Providing for their needs. Think think through uh, this idea of forgiveness of sins. Think about the the paralyzed man in Luke 4, uh, who's, who's lowered down through the roof. What does Jesus say to this man? Your sins are forgiven, Right? What do we see in this idea of of Jesus challenging and encouraging others to show grace and love to others? Think about last week in the story of the Good Samaritan. What's he do? Who's the one who shows grace and mercy and has compassion? It's the Samaritan. We see this uh, implied frequently throughout Jesus' teaching. And even that last line, where lead us not into temptation. What have we seen so far in the book of Luke? But the temptation of Jesus and how he did battle with the enemy, and yet did not sin. Do you see this? All throughout the book of Luke, we have seen the Lord's Prayer lived out as an example before us. This model prayer is is not very flashy. It is not a name-it-claim-it prayer. What it is is a call to align ourselves with God and with his purpose and his plans. And it is in that kind of framework that we should come to him and ask and seek 
and knock. So the Lord's Prayer is a framework of submission to God, and it is a pursuit of humility and humble means before Him. Think about those requests. Think about the requests that are made. How many of those are centered on earthly needs and desires? One. And how is it framed? Give us our daily bread. All the other requests that are mentioned are really God-centered and helping us. Even that idea of forgiving others is, is, comes from his forgiveness of us. These things are all working together to put our eyes firmly on the Father as we pray. Jesus uses, in his own example of his prayer life, he uses prayer as an opportunity to connect to the Father. And that is what he is teaching us in this model, is total dependence on the Father. So this prayer says, just imagine it as a prayer, uh, well, it is a prayer, a prayer we might put in our own words. How does it go? He says, oh God, be glorified and lifted up. Please receive the honor and praise that you are due. Come, Lord, and establish your kingdom here. Do your will. Accomplish your plan. Bring about the healing of our world, just like you said you would. Oh God, you know the things that we need. You are the giver and sustainer of life. Sustain us and provide for us what we need. We are sinful, Lord. Despite how good you are to us, we let you down repeatedly. We choose our own way too often. So please, God, forgive us. Lord, we know that your grace and forgiveness has taught us how to forgive. So Lord, help us to follow your example of mercy and forgiveness and help us to forgive those who we have an issue with. Oh God, if I am left to myself, I will choose me every time. So, Lord, lead me and keep me from temptation. I will call on you, Lord. Help me to follow your lead. Church, I, I think that kind of prayer sets the tone, right? There's no, when we think of this idea of ask, seek, knock, and you will, you will receive, you will get, you will find, that there's no way for us to look at that as a, as a lamp that we can rub and get three wishes from. That prayer sets us up for a heart that is centered on the Lord and His plan and His desire and His will. It is a prayer that says, I will follow Jesus. It is a prayer of humility, submission, and total dependence on the Heavenly Father. I want that to resonate with you. This prayer is a prayer of total dependence on the Heavenly Father. Now, with, with this kind of prayer in mind, Jesus moves then into the application phase. Okay, And so our ask, seek, and knock passage is sandwiched between two illustrations. Okay, The first illustration is an exchange between uh, uh, um, uh, two friends and some bread. Okay? And then the second illustration that Jesus gives is an illustration of how God is a God who gives good gifts. So let's look at that first illustration. Let's look at uh, Luke 
11, 5 through 8. It says, no, okay, hold on, before we read that, keep this in mind. He says, the disciples say to Jesus, teach us to pray. Has that stopped yet? Have, have we ended the lesson? So we've read the Lord's Prayer. Is that the end of the lesson? It is not the end of the lesson. Okay? So this is part of it. Let's see how the lesson continues. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. So he's saying, who has a friend like that? Who, who has a friend like that? The answer is, your friends aren't like that. How does he continue? I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Okay, so let's break this down again, all right? A friend has an unexpected guest who comes in the middle of the night, and he doesn't have anything to feed this friend. So what's he do? He gets up, and he goes to get some bread from his buddy next door. Now, why does Jesus say that the second friend gives the first guy bread? Okay? The, Jesus specifically said the answer is not because they're friends. Okay? He doesn't do this because of their friendship. That's what it says. Nope. Not the reason. He does not do it because they're friends. Why? He says, because of the impudence of the first man. Now, this is a word we use all the time, right? I mean, how many times can you work that into a sentence or, in, you know, in your daily life? It, it just doesn't happen. Okay, so what does this word mean? Let's look at some other translations. It's just persistence, boldness, audacity. Now, what I like is that some translations will add this word shameless, okay, that it is shameless audacity, or shameless boldness. Now, when we think about the idea of being shameless, I suppose there's two ways to look at that. There is the idea of being so confident, so secure, that you know whatever happens, you have no reason to be ashamed, it will come. But then there's the other kind of shameless audacity. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about. You know that clueless person who just doesn't know better? Like, they're just totally clueless, and they just do it anyway, Right? Okay, so they don't feel shame because they're too ignorant. That's what we're talking about. Okay? So Jesus says it's because of this guy's ignorant audacity, his shamelessness, that he comes to his friend and asks for bread. And he says the guy will give it. He will give it. And the answer is yes, okay, because he asked. The answer is yes because he asked. The first friend didn't deserve it, okay? And frankly, who did this guy think he was that he could come and wake up his neighbor when it probably could have waited till morning? He's clueless, right? Okay, now that's what he wanted his disciples to grab onto. That's the whole point of this particular illustration. Who did this guy think he was? Jesus was reminding his disciples who they were before God. It is not our place to ask anything of God. Anytime we might approach him, by virtue of who God is and by virtue of who we are, it is an imposition on our part. Who do we think we are? And here's what Jesus is saying. 
It doesn't matter. Go to him anyway. Go to him anyway. Go to him. Go to your father in shameless audacity, ignorance, like the crazy guy. Just just go. Whatever you do, go. Go and ask. Now, the author of Hebrews takes this same idea, but I think he kind of uh, rolls with that first kind of shamelessness, the boldness that I talked about a minute ago. The author of Hebrews keys in on the confidence that we can have in Christ as we come before the throne of God. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Either way, either way, what is the encouragement? That we go to the Father. Psalm 50 hints at the same concept of the, the first example we looked at. Psalm 50, starting in verse 12, says this. This starts with the words of God. God says, If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? The obvious answer there is no. All right? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So what's the psalmist's point? Where is he going with this? God doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need anything from us. Our sacrifices don't feed him or sustain him. He is high above us. But... He invites us in. We get to come in. He says, bring your sacrifices because he delights in our sacrifices. Not because he needs them, but because he likes that we love him. He wants that. He invites us in. He invites us to call on him. He says, ask of him in our time in trouble. He says, go to him. Go to him in prayer. Now, again, think about this. The disciples ask Jesus, teach us to pray. And Jesus' response is to provide them first with the model prayer. But church, then he hits hard the idea. Just go to the Lord in prayer. Just do it. Right? Whatever you're going through, just take it to the Father. It's in this context, this kind of persistence and shameless audacity that Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. Now, let's look at the way Jesus wraps up this call to prayer. What's Jesus say? Let's look at verses 11 through 13. He says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Why should we have confidence when we ask, seek, and knock? Why? Because he is a father who knows how to give good gifts. We can trust him. We can take our needs before the Lord because he isn't going to give us a snake or a scorpion. Amen? Like, hard pass. Both accounts. Like, I don't know which one I'd like less. Just... Neither, right? He knows how to give good.
good gifts. James 1 says in verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So the disciples say to Jesus, teach us to pray. Take your request to God, Jesus says, because he wants you to ask. And take your request to God because you can trust him with the result. Now, what I find interesting, I think this is generally true. I'm not going to say 100% absolutely true, but this is generally true. The result of our prayers will fit somewhere into the, the categories of the prayer request that we saw in the Lord's Prayer. If we go to him, if we ask, seek, and knock, God's response, who knows how to give good gifts, will respond in a way that is an answer to the Lord's prayer. His answer will bring him glory and honor. Or his answer will move us or the world toward the coming kingdom. His answer will be that thing that we need. His answer will be forgiveness. His answer will be to move us toward a gracious and forgiving heart. His answer will be to provide us a way out of our temptation. Now, I'm not saying that each prayer will reveal all of these answers, but that his answer will almost always fit within one of these answers. Because this is what it looks like to receive a good gift. This is what it looks like to receive a good gift. Jesus' model prayer was what? What we just read, the Lord's Prayer. If that's his model and prayer, and God is a God who gives good gifts, then his answers are going to be likewise in step with the answers to the model prayer. So what should we be looking for as a result of our prayer life? Should it be those things that we rub from the magic lamp to see what comes out, right? Those kinds of requests that are me-centered. What Jesus is showing us is dependence on the Father. He is drawing us continually back to him. He's going to help us make it all make sense. The final verse of this passage is super helpful. And I think it's the key to interpreting this passage correctly. Let's look at uh, chapter 11, verse 13. It says, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, Matthew's account of this passage is different. Matthew 7, 11 records the idea this way. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? All right, so what does Matthew tell us? Matthew says the Father knows how to give good things. Luke clarifies what the ultimate good thing is. And the ultimate good thing is the Holy Spirit. The Father gives the Holy Spirit. Now, what this does for us is this takes this idea of how we're supposed to come to the Lord in prayer, and it sets it within the whole context of the book of Luke. All right? There are those who think they are wise. 
who think they have understanding. And what have we learned about those who think they have human wisdom and human understanding? They are the ones that are blind and things are hidden to them. But who did God choose to reveal himself to? He revealed himself to the lowly, the humble, the little ones, the children, right? Luke's account draws out God's revealing nature. What does it mean for God to be a good God, a God who gives good gifts? He is a God who reveals himself. And how does he reveal himself? By giving the Holy Spirit. So when we're going through troubles, when we're going through hardships, when we're going through suffering, when we find ourselves in need, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to take it to the Lord in prayer. And he is faithful to answer with a good gift. And what is that good gift? That good gift is the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit provides understanding in our time of need. How do I know that's true? It's all over the scriptures. Let's look at James chapter 1, verse 5. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. If we just ask the Lord in prayer for wisdom, what will he give us? Wisdom. It is a promise. Take it to the bank. If you seek him and his wisdom, you will find it. 100%. You will find it. Name that. Claim that. It is a promise from the Lord. You will receive wisdom. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. What's the purpose? Why did the Son come? To give us understanding so that we can know, Right? On our, on our own this week, on your own this week, what I want you guys to do, write this down. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as a whole. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as a whole. It addresses this idea, but for time's sake, I'm just going to pull out one verse, and that's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. It says this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. What's the spirit do? He helps us understand He helps us understand. And let me give you one more verse that shows why Jesus promised that God will will give us the Holy Spirit and our time in need is so important. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. It says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What's the Spirit do? Provides understanding. We have a heavenly father who knows how to give good gifts. We have a heavenly father who knows how to meet our needs. And one of the things that we need more than anything is the confidence that comes from understanding his will. And if we are going to understand his will, if we are going to have the wisdom to perceive what he's up to, then we need his Holy Spirit to be real and present in our life. That's what he gives us in our time of need. That's what he gives us in our weakness. Because it is in his strength, by his spirit, that we are sustained. And it is by his spirit that we have understanding. You see, many times God's plans and purposes are bigger than we are. So in those moments, we need the spirit to help us know. And I mean know 
that God is in control and that God has a plan and that we are not aimlessly drifting through the universe. He has, have any of you guys ever felt out of control? Don't raise your hands. But you can if you want, because I mean, it's like all of us, right? Have you ever felt out of control? Who's in control? Do you believe it? Sometimes we don't. We know in church we're supposed to say, yes, I believe it. Okay? And you know what? We've got to preach that gospel to ourselves even in our doubt. And we need our neighbors to be preaching that to us in our doubt. But sometimes, sometimes we don't believe God is in control. And in those moments, what do we need? We need the Spirit in our hearts reminding us of who God is, reminding us that He is in control, reminding us that nothing is beyond His reach. So let me see if I can sum up what's going on in, in this whole passage. Jesus is our example in prayer. And when I say that, He's our example as a prayer, someone who prays. We watch him, we look to him, we see how does he pray, what does he do? And if Jesus felt like the whole world was out of control and made the request to the Father the night before he was murdered, Lord, if there is anything else you can do, take this cup from me, not my will but yours be done, then we can see that he is one who depends on the Father when things feel out of his control. Now, we know that Jesus was in control as he voluntarily gave up control. He could have taken it back whenever he wanted, but he placed himself in the Father's hands and in the hands of his accusers, knowing that he was going to be killed. And he was not excited about that. But what did he cling to? He clinged clinged to the fact that the Father was in control. So he sets us an example as a prayer, but he also sets us an example in how to pray by giving us the Lord's Prayer by showing us a model of prayer that centers our hearts on dependence on God, right? Then after he gives us this model prayer, what does he do? He calls us, his followers, his disciples, to be bold in prayer. He reminds us that though there is a relationship between us and God, we are in no position to ask God for anything. God does not answer our prayers out of an obligation from his relationship to us. He answers because we ask despite our relationship to him. Think about that. He is God and creator. We are creature and subordinate. We are lost and in need of saving. What business do we have coming to God? Jesus' whole point is that we can't Let that chasm, that gap, stop us from coming to God. He tells us to do it anyway. When you stop and reflect on who you are and who God is, there may be this temptation to say, why would he want me? What do I have to offer him? And the answer is, he loves you because he does. And what's to stop you from going to him? Nothing. Go to him anyway. Even though he owes us nothing, he welcomes us there. He wants us there. He wants us to ask. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock, and you will find what you need. He is a God who knows how to give good gifts. 
And what he gives will be the thing that you need in that moment. And here's what he will give. Here's the promise in Luke. He will give you more of himself through the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Spirit will move in you to grant you the wisdom and understanding that you need for that day. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. Do you believe that? That he cares. That you're invited to ask. That he wants you to come boldly, ignorantly, continually seeking him. And are you ready for his answer? His answer is going to be more of himself more of what you need most. Do you trust him? Do you believe that he is for you and not against you as his child? He has not left us as orphans. But what's it say? But he sent us a helper in his Holy Spirit. And it is by his Spirit that he gives us what we really need, understanding and wisdom that will help us stay dependent on the Father. Would you all pray with me? Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are enough. Help us, Lord, by your Spirit, by the the wisdom that you make known to us. Help us to become more dependent on you, not less. Help us to know that in any situation, you are ready to reveal yourself more deeply to us. Father, help us to rest in that understanding as we ask you for other things in life, as we ask you to meet our physical needs, as we ask you to heal the ones that we love, as we ask you to protect the ones that we care about. Lord, as we ask you to accomplish plans and purposes that we believe you're in, Lord, we ask that in all those situations, your spirit would guide us, that you would give us the insight and wisdom to understand what you are up to even when we can't see it. Give us hearts that always trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.